bem-vindos ao podcast What Drives You. Aqui exploramos histórias, estratégias e ferramentas das pessoas que têm bem claro o que é que as move. Por isso, se queres ser uma delas, mantenho-te por aí, porque a jornada vai começar. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the What Drives You podcast and today I'm really happy to share with you guys my conversation with Serge Hunt. Serge is an entrepreneur and an amazing human being that has built a lot of different projects and researched a lot of different areas. However, he built EduCreator operating system, an operating system based on Notion, the note-taking app that allows content creators like we at What Drives You uh, to build m more structured and effective content such as courses, online courses, workshops and a bunch of different things. Throughout our conversation we talk about spirituality, uh, about his journey through, through academia and of course about EduCreator and what made him um, build it. And I really think that you, you're going to learn a lot with our conversation. I, I hope you like it. You must follow Serge on social media and on his website. The links are in the description. Please go follow him. And before I share with you our conversation, a word of thank you to our sponsors, Geração Esmais, a Portuguese project that wants to help young people to develop a more healthy lifestyle in order for them to become more healthy and happy adults. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Serge Hunt. Hi everyone, welcome to another podcast um, episode and today I have Serge Hunt. Serge, Serge thank you so much for being here. Uh, as you know, and uh, this is for Serge and also for everyone who's listening, English is not my main language, but I'm challenging myself to do uh, more episodes in English and I'm just wanted to that put that out here. So my first question to um, Serge is, and actually it starts with a story, okay? So when I was uh, digging into EduCreator, which is your product, and we'll talk about it, um, I went to your website, and there was this one sentence that made me think, I'll enjoy whatever this guy is doing, right? From all, everything you, and, and that was sentence was, and I'm quoting, I'm just a future parent who's passionate about creating tools and environments for my ch child children's flourishing. And that sentence uh, it made me think, yeah, that's the kind of people I want uh, producing content and things that I'll buy. So I, I, I want to start here and, and ask you, why do you want to be a parent and what does that mean to you? Sure, that's such a fun place to start. Um, I'm happy someone noticed this sentence on my uh, website. Um, yeah, parenting, it, it's a funny thing. Um, I guess what's really inspiring about parenting is, is that it's such a uh, transformative experience. I think there's something which happens kind of um, like a biological switch or something which happens in you when you start to think about what it means to take responsibility for another human's life um, in this way. Um, I remember when I was maybe 17 or 18, I started having these thoughts, which was like, holy shit, I, I, I wouldn't know how to do that. I, I, I can't support a family yet. Um, and then this, I don't think many um, men and maybe, you know, even women, um, really grow up until they kind of think about these things and claim that responsibility. So I don't know where that came from exactly. Um, I, I 
just kind of arrived to me that I should be thinking about this. Um, and I think it's kind of a, a, a kind of a part of being human, uh, uh, these questions about parenting and taking responsibility for children. Yeah, it, it, it's actually um, also, um, at least to me, a driving force to my own work. Uh, I mean, mm. when, whenever I'm, I'm, I'm trying to decide what new project I'm going to build or, or how am I going to, to do something, I always think, well, I want to build a better world for not, not only my children, but, but as well other children. And at least to me, sometimes when you're tired or when you, it gives you this sense of purpose, at least once again, to me, at least, uh, uh, this sense of person's uh, purpose and, 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 and energy. So, um, Serge, there's a lot of things I want to cover and we'll probably go, when, we'll go everywhere. But let me start by asking you something, which is, um, let's talk about your academic journey, right? One of the things that I usually uh, like to, to do in the podcast is uh, go from childhood until at least your college experience. So let's start there. And one of the things I actually find out was that you have this set of questions that you like to answer or to, uh, to ask to other people. And, uh, and I actually stole two or three of them. Uh, but you had one that I really liked, which was, are there any childhood memories or stories that have meaning to what you do today? And I, I would actually like to start there and asking you, is there any story? Wow, cool. You've done your research. This is really cool. Um, so I think the, there's a couple, there's a couple. I think um, what's most significant is um, a collection of experiences that I had um, growing up in a multicultural and multi-faith family. Um, my mother was Muslim, is Muslim, and my dad is was grow growing up in a Christian context, but kind of has more Buddhist thoughts. I have um, Malaysian and Chinese heritage, as well as Indian heritage and English heritage. So all these different kind of uh, religious and um, cultural questions being brought to me at a young age, which was kind of a uh, identity dance to do for a long time. Um, and this really kind of invoked these questions of like, what is a human? Um, what are we doing here? Who's right and wrong? Uh, is any one religion better than the other? Um, and so I was kind of forced into asking these questions quite young. Um, another thing which feels significant is some, some strange sets of dreams and also kind of uh, strange, I don't know how to describe these. They, they, they feel kind of extrasensory, but um, I used to wake up feeling very um, big, like taller, taller mm. than my size and getting, getting out of bed and feeling super tall yeah. and then like shrinking to the size of an ant. And I wasn't sure what was going on. So um, this was like a weird thing. I was like, oh wait, maybe consciousness isn't so stable. It kind of changes, it does different things. And then uh, I used to also fall asleep and feel like I would shrink to the size of an atom, but expand to the sides of the wall. Um, so just some strange, strange experiences like this. And it's just going, well, it kind of got me questioning everything really. Um, so I think these are kind of the significant childhood things, um, which really drove me to these questions. Did you deal with that as a child or, or it, um, because it, it, I, I'm not sure you tell me, but dealing with those kind of experiences as a child, was it a really um, awakening? It was, it, did it bring, how, how did you deal with that? Yeah, I think it got me reading a lot of books. 
I basically ended up just being super hungry for answers. Um, I didn't have any frame to put this into something about the, um, going towards these religious bodies for answers just wasn't satisfying. Um, you know, and so it got me really interested in kind of like psychology, um, the kind of human development movement, um, spirituality and just scanning across all of these different bodies for information. So let me ask you, uh, let's just jump in into um, a, a certain specific period of time, which is high school. Uh, and cool. a lot of people that listen to my podcast and uh, work with my, my own company are high school students. And one thing that I really like when I have guests like you uh, is actually asking them, how was your high school experience? Uh, and did you learn any lesson that you carry until today? <laughs> um, yeah, high school was fun. It was, um, I, I remember feeling extremely um, forced into sort of different boxes. It felt like my identity was kind of like, you have to be the sporty guy because you're tall. <laughs> um, and, you know, um, but you're not the maths guy. And, but you know, your English teacher tells you you're bad. So th there's this kind of um, weird sort of sensation of like an identity being pushed in very like opposite directions. Um, and so that was one experience I had. It, it was, I was also kind of pulled between being very like creative. Um, I was like head of art at my school or something. Um, and also then also loving like physics and, and sciences. Um, but there was one thing that really stuck out to me for um, stood out to me during high school, and I think it happened to a lot of other people was um, this these moments where the kind of flatness or the boringness of moving from class to class was broken up by moments of like deep inspiration um, from a teacher, and I think this happens across a lot of other people um, where they think they're really bad at stuff. You know, they, they go through the whole of school being like, oh, I'm, I'm terrible at these things. I can't get the grades or, you know, um, my parents don't think I'm great. And then a teacher will say something to you um, or like make a comment on something. And it will just suddenly like click in your head. And I remember this happening with a, a teacher called Mr. Osborne. He was, um, he was the like computer technician at my school. And he used to fix the computers, install Windows 2000 or whatever it was <laughs> back then. And, um, and he basically um, said, hey, like you're pretty good at this computers thing. Do you want to try and build a PC? And, and so he let me be in his uh, sort of technician space. You know, you've got like the rubberized mats. And yeah. so I spent, spent a bunch of time like pulling apart computers and, and putting them together. And I was like, oh, this is the first experience I have where like I'm given full agency and, and control over what I'm doing. No one's like breathing over my shoulder. And um, I just kind of fell in love with it. I think this happens in other domains as well. Like mm -hmm. someone saying, oh, you're just really great at that. Do you want to try it out? Um, or making a really nice comment. So yeah, high school was this kind of flat thing until meeting Mr. Osborne, which inspired this whole like drive towards technology and computers and stuff. So yeah. yeah. So um, how, was it easy to choose what were your um what were you were going to do once you finish high school and start college <laughs> not at all um this is a yeah brilliant brilliant thing it's it's there's a kind of um forced thing where you should i think many people believe that you should kind of know what you should do um 
but I definitely, another thing which stood out to me after high school was like, why do we have these kind of structures around the different domains and topics? They were so deeply related in my mind. Like um, there was like a historical argument in, in the sciences and there was quite an artistic element of, um, of computers. And so I could see all these kind of connections. I was like questioning what, why, why do the subjects need to exist this way? Um, and, and so I kind of grew up with this kind of mindset that I would learn almost everything. Um, yeah. so long as it kind of, um, was to do with like these questions that I had, um, like I didn't really care what domain it was or what you would call it or what class it was yeah. so long as it kind of helped me see patterns. And I think that was the main thing that I, I picked up after, um, high school was I wasn't interested in being the best physicist or whatever. It was just like, do these patterns help me see into things uh, more clearly? Yeah. Okay. So um, you, you actually are, um, you talk a lot about um, anthropology and, and uh, we, we were actually talking about that before we started the podcast. And I, I'm, I'm actually really curious into how did you got into that space? And actually, for some students who may listen to this and don't know what anthropology is, please give us a one-on-one and then tell us how did you go into that space? Sure. Yeah. An anthropology is this kind of uh, very broad field, um, but it basically has to do with the study of kind of human culture, um, human behavior in groups um, and the kind of things that we produce as a culture um, and the, the patterns. So that's the books and the artifacts that we make as well as the, um, the societies that we create. Um, and so anthropology was this thing which kept cropping up. Um, I didn't really know um, how to do anthropology, but I was very excited about being a part of other cultures. And I think this is um, like a standard practice basically to immerse yourself in the culture that you're studying in anthropology so you can kind of firsthand see what uh, is going on and the different kind of social practices, the, the ways that people interact with each other, and then to write up your conclusions and your observations about these cultures. Yeah. So um, this is kind of like the study of anthropology on a, in a very like, uh, in a nutshell. Broadway. Um, yeah, Broadway. Um, but the way I was kind of brought to it was that um, I noticed after speaking to uh, Ruth Crick, who is a uh, leading learning science researcher um, and dear friend of mine in England, um, that basically school and uh, education is much more about, um, much more than getting the results in the test scores. And she basically opened my eyes to this broader uh, conception of what learning and education could be about. And I'd only ever experienced it from the kind of English um, perspective that, you know, you should go to school and get grades and, and you just keep following this track and you'll be a good human somehow. But there was so much more. And I was so interested in like how some of my like Indian friends or Somali friends or different cultures ha had been raised. Um, so I wanted to know more about that. And so I ended up um, after university spending a long time sort of being in different kinds of learning contexts, places where people were uh, engaged with how to make a, how to support a human to develop. So there's like 
spending time doing martial arts training um, and seeing like what the pedagogy looks like there. Like, how do you bring up a human in a martial arts context? Mm-hmm. Going to monasteries, how do you um, bring up a human in a monastic sense? Um, being in teacher-student relationships with a guru, like what does it mean to be under kind of rule by one person? Um, so all these different configurations were um, what I was really interested in and how they affected how someone grows and develops. Yeah. That's, that's, that's actually so interesting. So let, let me ask you a question, which, was, which is, um, seeing all that, was there any way that you, had, that you felt more um, compelled uh, or, or, or actually not compelled, but observing all those different uh, education um, approaches, let's call it that, was what was the one that actually made you think, if any, that made you think, well, I, I wish I had experienced that. Am, am I making myself, am I being clear? As in like, what stood out to me as yeah, I yeah, wish yeah. I had that more? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For myself personally, or what I think? Yeah, for, for, for yourself, for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I noticed that was that after going to these different contexts um, and actually spending a lot of time outside of the educational system was that um, I, I have a very different learning approach to what the schools were built for. And, and it's not like I'm unique or special. I just think mm-hmm. that everyone has a, a way that they are best suited to go into risk and uncertainty. You know, you learn when you go towards something that you don't know. It's turning the unknown into the kind of known. Um, And everyone has a different way of doing that. So, um, but the way that I was doing it, which is kind of very um, multi, it's it's kind of like very broad. And Mm -hmm. I like to look at like lots of of different things and compare the patterns between them. That's just the pattern I observed myself was not being supported by the schools. So um, I really liked being self-directed. Um, I didn't like people necessarily telling me what to look at and like what's, you know, this, this book will get you to the thing. It's just like, no, um, maybe parts of this book will. Um, I really like learning with other people. So I, I, I really enjoy having um, other people to reflect through and be like, is, is it this or is it that? I, I don't know. <laughs> um, and then maybe them suggest a better question. Yeah. Um, instead of this kind of one teacher to multiple students and then them kind of looking over me. I'd rather just have like four or five people who are looking at the same thing and just keep asking questions, um, bringing new things to each other. So I think that was the major insight that I had is that that was my style um, and I needed to make more of that in my life. Mm -hmm. So the big takeaway is just like figure out what your style is and try and build that structure. So let me just ask one more question related to that, which is after that insight, what were some specific changes that you make in your life in order to promote that kind of learning? Yeah, the, I think the big one right now is to not do a PhD. Um, I think um, I could have a supervisor and, uh, you know, go back into academia. Um, but really, I've noticed that some of the, I, I can still have that um, in the position that I'm in, which is basically finding out through friends if there's somebody who has the related expertise and uh, asking them the questions, um, having a close group of friends who work on similar questions. I really, I really value my uh, sort of um, distance from the traditional educational system. However, this does put me at a disadvantage because there's so many great resources that you could have 
Um, and I think really it's just a, it's a case for me of, uh, I've been trying to find a way of having the right people around me. Um, and I haven't found, um, I'm now trying to design my life in a way where I'm not just around academics who theorize. I think I can find them if I want to, but there's a very like unique um, flavor of academic or um, researcher who's kind of more action oriented. And maybe they have like a kind of entrepreneurial flair or they like to build things and see if they break and, you know. Um, so I think finding more people like this is something that I'm really actively um, trying to do now. And uh, yeah, just have good chats with them and uh, keep diving into these questions. Good. So um, take us through your journey uh, throughout academia. So how did you begin? And uh, you, you didn't, uh, as you were saying, you, you stopped and you are, aren't doing at least for now your PhD. So take us from the beginning uh, of your um, journey into academia to the moment where you are now. Sure, yeah. So went to a pretty small kindergarten. <laughs> then I went to a Catholic school um, while I was, you know, around, you know, before my teenage years, um, went from a Catholic school to like a sort of basic sort of public school, then went to, I, I basically went moved through most of the kind of normal yeah, structures, normal yeah. um, even went to, from a, from a public school to private school, a private school, I actually didn't go to university straight away. I went back to a, a, um, a trade college. Oh. So I, I just didn't, I didn't go. I, I wanted to take time away. I actually went to university a year late, um, but I was also a year forward in school. So this was kind of okay. Um, and then <laughs> spent a year at a trade college um, and did some, um, some stuff related to uh, like business management and, and music management, actually. I was like really interested in kind of like the, the kind of behind the scenes of a lot of stuff. Yeah. And so I did this because that just wasn't on offer, you know, at school. I wanted to do things which were kind of real world and practical. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought a trade college would be cool for that. Then I went to uh, University of West of England uh, or UWE in Bristol. And here I studied uh, music technology, which was basically a, a BSc um, covering things like creating audio applications and software, physics, music theory um as well as a little bit of like engineering and creative music production stuff so i i just knew that i wanted this blend of i didn't want to be like in a hardcore physics program or like mm -hmm. a science program i needed to do something creative so mm -hmm. um music technology just seemed to be the thing because it had yeah. like software programming and as well as could just make music so let let me just stop you uh right to just to ask you something which is that that's one of the things that i uh while doing research i i find out about you and i uh, and i really like which is you your relationship with music in a way that goes beyond just listening to it and um i i actually went to college studying jazz music uh, jazz music um and when i when i saw that you were studying music as well i really liked it and i, I wanted to ask you you were saying that you wanted to do something which had some creativity on it, uh, besides just engineering or software, but I must ask you why music and not any other area at all? Yeah, this, this is a fun question. Um, I was very interested in, in what was bringing humans together. Um, and I knew technology was one of those things that was kind of doing it, but I saw it most repeatedly in music concerts, like, people weren't 
specifically interested in arriving at a goal together or completing a challenge, but there was such a sense of togetherness at yeah. um, music concerts and event. And this kind of got me uh, very interested in what was going on there. Um, I was kind of, uh, one question I held in my mind was, is there a kind of universal language that we can all speak? Um, and my hunch was music was the thing. Yeah. Um, you know, because I was, you know, growing up in this multi-faith family, I was like, well, we keep arguing about what God is, but, you know, we all show up at the same music concert and, and laugh yeah. and smile together. I just want to know what was going on there. So I spent a lot of time around musicians um, and, uh, yeah, that, I think that was a kind of draw to music. So let, let me ask you one small question before you, you continue into your uh, academic journey. Uh, but, and, and this is actually a, a very personal question, which is, What was your favorite concert ever? Hmm. <laughs> And it's totally unrelated to everything that we're talking yeah. about, but I'm actually pretty curious about it. There's a couple. There's, there's a couple for different reasons. Um, there was one where I went to a, like a rock concert with um, a girlfriend that I was seeing at the time. It was super magical. Um, It was at the Roundhouse in Camden, which is a beautiful venue. Um, it's a roundhouse. Um, that was a magical moment just because it was with a magical person. Yeah. Um, there was also a moment when I remember like sneaking into clubs when I was like 16 or 17 um, in Bristol. And uh, this was like kind of like some of my first experiences of being around like really loud um, bass music and yeah. just love that experience. Um, you know, dark room, just huge speaker systems. Um, so that was a pretty transformative moment as well. Um, yeah. That's, that's funny. Okay, so please continue. You were saying that you were, uh, you went to college studying uh, music and in, in, in software. Uh, let continue your journey. Sure, yeah. What's um, fun or significant? I think oh, there was something which was fun. I, I noticed that I had basically studied most of the first year content outside of, um, I'd already done it basically in uh, school. Um, I had the option to do music technology. Um, so I basically had a lot of free time during the first year. Um, I, I aced most of it. And because of that, and also in the second year, only having about eight hours of contact time, I realized that I just had loads of space yeah. to do, yeah, to do whatever. And um, so I spent a lot of time sneaking into the back of like business and economics lectures, um, philosophy, psychology, um, digital media as well. Um, I used to just sit at the back of like whatever was going on when I had free time. I'd be on campus, so that was okay. Um, I ended up also getting quite involved with, um, they called it like the startup hub or something. So I was really looking for like, what I noticed was I was a lot of learning a lot of theory, but I didn't quite know how the world worked and I wanted to know how the world works. So, um, had to go towards like more practical or applied things. And I think some combination of hanging around the um, startup hub folk um, and uh, also being in like just lectures wherever I could be um, exploring my curiosity um, was, I think I spent more time in lectures that weren't to do with my original major <laughs> than I did in the actual major. A lot of my course was actually practical, which was really like nice. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I, I just wanted to absorb as much as I could because I was kind of had these questions going into university. Yeah. So, um, 
let's let's jump into another total different area, which is uh, when when uh, I actually went to your website once again, you have this uh, really nice uh, idea behind it, and and I want to ask you, um, which is this concept of there, I think it's that way in praxis. And I wanted you to please explain what you mean both of uh, those those terms. What yeah, mean? sure. So Paidea X Praxis is the name of my personal website. It basically kind of is trying to encapsulate um, this this core inquiry that I'm um, I'm looking at. Um, a Paidea is basically a Greek word, which is loosely about the raising of younger um, members of society, so children. Um, and the responsibility of a paideia is kind of distributed. It's not just in the family. It's something which, you know, policemen and um, care workers and teachers um, are all kind of part responsible for. So um, this is much easier in like a smaller community. The paideia is it's kind of like a community effort. This is kind of difficult uh, or less clear in modern days where it's like a school is part daycare as well as a place that you learn. Um, so the idea the is basically um, this exploration of how do we raise children um, to become like fully uh, active and enabled members of a society. Um, and and practice is all about kind of very practical uh, methods to do that. It's kind of the uh, turning an art or theory into um, concrete practices. Yeah. So I didn't want to just theorize about things. I also wanted to build things um, and look at what people were actually doing from a kind of practice standpoint um, and so, develop those. Yeah. All right. So uh, in, uh, I'll, I'll pick up on that, which is you besides being theoretical, you actually wanted to be practical. Uh, and that's, uh, uh, we get to, into the, the product that made me, um, made me a fan of yours, which is EduCreator. So um, for people that are listening and have no idea what, what EduCreator is, please uh, let's share with us what is it. Sure, yeah. Um, EduCreator OS is an operating system for um, hobbyists, experts, or educators who are trying to create more educational content and experiences. Um, what I noticed was uh, during the lockdown, a lot of people had to move their practices online, um, either consultants or uh, teachers who were trying to figure out like what Zoom is uh, and uh, people who were also trying to create online courses. Um, but it all uses Notion templates. Notion is a kind of note-taking app and it's kind of more than that because you can create systems and processes and databases. So it's all built inside Notion and it's kind of a central place that you can uh, manage all of your creative projects and courses and workshops and articles and blogs, but it's also a dashboard for you to manage your business and all of the practicalities from finances to uh, marketing and it's really the kind of um, it's birthed out of doing lots of work with course creators small channels um, and also helping experts to get their stuff spread online um, it's just come after a couple of years of making 
processes and templates for them that I've accumulated it into one thing and said, here's the thing that I wish that I had starting most of my client engagements to say, this would be the thing. And we just build out of there, um, whatever you teach. So, um, let me ask you something, for, which is uh, for how long have you been working on? You just said that you, you created these templates for your clients and then you, you put it all together into and create OS, but for how long have you actually been working on these, uh, different templates? Yeah. So I think it's been about three or so years of kind of event management, community, like design management um, consulting for different companies on, on their community strategies. Um, it used to be Google docs really, like there was a lot of Google docs. And then mm -hmm. I, I figured out what notion was. I said, this is the thing and, uh, moved it all over to there, but really the bulk of the product was made in about a month and a half time, just, you know, um, midway through lockdown. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's accumulation of about three years of, of stuff, but it's also was made pretty quickly because it was all there. Yeah. So one of the things uh, uh, that I really loved about it and, uh, and I actually wrote about it as well is your, the way you incorporate design, uh, into a lot of the things that you share on the creator. So, um, you, it's not only a template that actually helps you to organize your content, but also uh, you have some really um, deep learning uh, materials there that help you as a creator to actually structure your content in a way that facilitates better learning from, from, from your audience. So, but the one thing that I actually liked um, was your, your use of design into it. So uh, my question is, where did that come from? Where did you um, learn or how did that relationship with design and using design to explain complex ideas started? Yeah, I think it comes from observing that some of the best um, like physics theories we have are very um, somehow simple or elegant. And I don't like to, I think if something's going to be, uh, useful, um, it should also kind of be elegant or beautiful. Um, so the role of design really is to, um, make that functionality, uh, support the functionality. Um, there's lots of flashy things. Like I could have lots of gifts in there, you know, dancing and, you know, but, um, really when I think about design, I'm just trying to think of, um, what, how, how can I say the most with the least? Um, and what supports the, the, you know, there's always this, this term everyone says in design, which is form follows function. So I think about what is the function and then like what form and design features would kind of support it. Um, but I've always had kind of like a, a very visual or aesthetic eye for things, um, all the way back to being a, the head of art at my school or something. Yeah. It's, I don't really know what that means when you give a, a young person that kind of title, <laughs> but like it clearly, I, I was seen as somehow creative and yeah, it just, it just carries through now. Everything I try to make with a touch of beauty in it, instead of just, yeah. you know, yeah, raw and functional. It's, it's a, a, a great product. Let me ask you one, one final question about Edu Creator, which is what's the impact you're hoping to have, um, with that specific product? Yeah, there's been two things which I intended. Um, one has, is coming to life more than the second thing. The first one is that um, more consultants are 
becoming more confident that the thing that they want to say can be shared more online. I, I think this was the first group of people in my mind who I was like, I, I hope this thing can help them. Um, I knew so many smart people who were just um, not able to get their message out or um, say what they wanted to say online. Uh, they were just kind of scared or didn't see the structures or the tools that they needed. So it's, it's mainly been adopted by consultants who um, have a very niche thing that they're trying to say. Um, the second group of people that it's, it's helping, but not in the same degree, is um, educators. I really hope that the impact it can have is to help um, more traditional teachers and university lecturers um, find a way into kind of teaching more independently or uh, learning how to teach online and remote. So especially during the pandemic, there's uh, you know, a huge need to figure out how to do this online thing. And yeah. that's one, one more area I hope it can kind of help. And this is also kind of tied up to businesses moving their stuff online. So anyone mm -hmm. who's doing educational stuff, I think this kind of relates to you where your team are doing a lot of um, digital teaching. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I just have uh, a couple of more questions before uh, we go. And the first one was uh, in your, I think it's in your Twitter bio, you have this expression that I love, which was uh, augmenting, augmenting creativity. And I, I really like that idea because, and, and this is actually something that scares me when I talk with a lot of students and actually a lot of grown-ups and adults that are working already in different areas, they seem to believe that creativity is something that you have and it's fixed. You know, I'm not a creative person and I cannot, and this is the most that I can. And watching your Twitter bio uh, and seeing that word augmenting, I, I, I really like it. So I'm, I, I just want to ask you, how can one do this? How can one increase their own creativity in, in their lives? Sure, there's heaps of different ways. I guess it really depends on um, what domain you're creative in. Um, I think technology has a huge part to play in what I mean by that. Um, there's lots of ways you could just do it without a computer. Um, I'm also exploring this in terms of like what opens you up to uh, making these new connections between information yeah. and finding out um, new relationships between different parts of your knowledge. So this is one aspect of creativity that I think about. And that doesn't need to be with technology, but I think in the way that I mean it in the bio is is that we're all kind of creative um, in that uh, one way I view a human is that you basically turn ideas into reality. You're a kind of imagination to reality machine um, or entity. And yeah. so everybody, everybody has this um, unique way that they do that. Um, and I call this their idea to reality stack. Um, for a artist, this is kind of like a sketchbook where they has kind of three stages where they need to generate, you need to generate ideas, you need to have thoughts. Yeah. Um, then you need to figure out if those thoughts are kind of, um, can you can make them into reality, are they possible? So you need to test things and like see if they work in certain areas. And then you actually need to have these kind of ways of implementing it, like your, your praxis, your, your making things real. So generating ideas, making your ideas um, possible and then actually implementing ideas. So everyone does this and then it's just the creative process. So the way I think about augmenting reality, uh, creativity is to um, figure out what that person's idea to reality stack is and find the right tools or uh, 
techniques and methods that that person needs to open up that aperture so that they can get more of it through. And that's, that's kind of what I mean by that term is, can I extend your already existing capacity of turning ideas into reality? Can I augment it and make it um, reach new things or um, uh, create in new ways that you didn't know that you could create? That, that's a, a great answer. So, so I have just three more questions. And the first one is actually, once again, stolen uh, in by that stack of questions that you have. And I actually like this question so much that uh, I, I'll, I will definitely start using it on, on more episodes, which is, can you share with me three doubts you have? A doubt about yourself, about your work, and about your world. Sure. Doubt about myself. Firstly, the zoom out. This is a game made by a friend, um, Joe Edelman from Human Systems. We call it Doubt Club, and I think it's just a, a really fun set of questions to ask uh, friends and people at different occasions. Yeah. Um, so, Doubt Club. Three doubts. Uh, the first one about myself is I I doubt my ability. Yeah, I, I doubt my ability to to approach the people that I think um, really contribute the most to my learning. I somehow, sometimes have this kind of, uh, it's weird because sometimes I have a, a so, no social fear around this. I just message someone and go like, yeah. hey, you're the, you're the leading guy on this. Can we talk? And then sometimes I just really back off. I don't, I don't I'm like, oh, I, I like, I want to talk to you, but I, I don't. So there's some kind of like social anxiety thing, which I feel, but I also don't in some situations and I want to get to the bottom of that. So I have a doubt around this. Um, so finding the right collaborators, I think is probably the doubt. Um, a doubt I have about my work and my job role. Um, I doubt whether this is the right and sustainable path. Like I'm, I'm really trying to self-fund a lot of my research, um, um, whether that be through products or my Patreon and, um, I wonder if it's also just a good idea to go go do that PhD. Um, so that's one doubt I have related to work and uh, my role and position in the world. Um, and then a doubt in the world at large. Um, I think I have this a doubt of some of our, our leaders in in ed tech, um, the people who are really putting in the the tech. Um, I have a doubt that they see the need or can realize um, the importance of how there's still this very developmental uh, process which needs to happen with teachers in schools um, to get them to, 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 to ra like radically change education. I, I don't think there's a kind of belief which people have, which is like the technology would just sweep everything aside and put this new paradigm in. Um, but I don't think that it works like that. I, I think really teachers go through a, a developmental process of being like, well, I need something which extends what I do right now. Um, and then maybe if that works, then I can figure out, okay, I want to try something quite so new. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if that's new, then I'll try something new, more exotic and, yeah. and different. Um, it's like, if you, if you drop technology into a classroom with no community around it, people just be like, whoa, um, if, if it's something similar, like flashcards, yeah. they'll be like, oh yeah, yeah, we can use that. But if it's really game-changing but doesn't have the the community of practice um the rich social um structures around it um, and a new pedagogy around it yeah. then um, it's just going to kind of blow over and um 
so I have this doubt around ed tech yeah. um, and how, how people are deploying it in the world. And I think that's what I'm trying to address with PayDirx practice, which is like, what are the social practices that we need? And then can we augment them with technology? Uh -huh. um, and, yeah. That, that's that's a great answer. So uh, let me ask you uh, just one more question, which is I, I have this firm belief that, um, and I have it because I've worked with a lot of people here in Portugal uh, and entrepreneurs, students, everyone actually. And I, I, I noticed this pattern that we as humans, I believe we have, which is um, we have a couple of questions that we're constantly uh, coming back to, all right? And, uh, and we keep asking them in different uh, phases, phases of our own life. But those, there are usually two, three questions that we just keep asking ourselves. So I wonder if, if this makes any sense to you, um, what are some of those questions that you keep asking yourself um, throughout your, your life? One of them is um, like, what is a human? This is very kind of broad, but the 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 answer you come up with that um, drastically changes what you do with yourself and how you treat others. Um, so just keeping that in the back of my mind, like, yeah. you know, what, how do I define a human? Um, why, and, and what's the importance of them? Um, are we somehow unique? Are we just a monkey with a, like a, a big brain? Um, changes the way that we approach life. So that's mm -hmm. one question. Um, another question um, that I generally hold around, oh, I had it and I lost it. Um, Let's see if it comes back to me. Um, another question I have is probably more to do with like the to <laughs> how do what kind of society do we want to live in? Um, it, it's less of a question of like is Marxism better? then, uh, I don't know, capitalism, but more a question of like, it, how do I find a meaningful life? Um, and like, what are the structures to support that? Um, it's like less about adopting ideologies than it is about like actively constructing it. And um, so I think about like how to help people like have that conversation, yeah. um, you know, not, not just policymakers and stuff, but like just the average guy who's like, you know, how do you want to live like where, yeah. where, how do you want how do you want to be with your family yeah. um and um another fun question that keeps cropping up <sighs> hmm. i think a lot about the, the the role of sort of inspiration and curiosity in uh learning institutions um i, t I tend to think about uh like what am i inspired by this is like a a way to kind of move away from from just goals of like mm -hmm. I want to be rich, I want to be wealthy, you know, yeah. I want to be have status. Um, they're kind of tied to that, but um, a, a lot of what we do is kind of just imitation. I think this is kind of from the fund fundamental way of learning, which is like monkey yeah. see, monkey do. Yeah, and I don't think that ever leaves. So I have to be kind of mindful of of what I'm inspired by so I can be mindful of like what I'm imitating or um, if I am imitating, yeah. if I'm doing something quite new. Yeah, so. that, that, that makes total sense. So, so um, 
first of all, thank you so much. Before I ask you the last question, if people want to connect with you and know more about you, what's the best place uh, to, to do it? Yeah, I'm most active on Twitter. Um, my handle is sergehunt underscore A-R-K. Um, that's Serge with a J-S-E-R-J-H-U-N-T. Um, and also my personal website, um, Paidea X Praxis. It's a bit of a mouthful, um, yeah. but yeah, we'll, sure we'll leave, we'll leave, yeah, we'll leave the, the links in the description. So Serge, thank you again. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, my last question is the question that actually um, gives name to the podcast and is what drives you? What drives me? Wonder and mystery. I think these are the two big things which keep me open to the world. Um, I, there's this whole sort of frame of, and there's a kind of slogan that I have, which is um, mystery, not mastery. I don't believe anything can really be mastered. Um, the human life is too short. So um, wonder and mystery are yeah. the things which, which drive me. That's probably one of the best answers I've had uh, in 40 plus episodes. That, that actually makes total, total sense. Really good. Serge, once again, thank you so much. For everyone watching, please follow Serge on social media. We'll leave the links in the description. Uh, and please leave a rating uh, in your favorite podcast um, app. And we'll see you soon enough. Thank you once again, Serge. Have Thank you. a great day.